welcome. Thank you for being with us. I know I was conversing with a few of you. There were 50-some people, I think, watching uh, that were uh, uh, tuning in and being here live with us, and for that, we're very grateful. I understand that when, when you have technology uh, involved, sometimes things get hinky, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. We don't control the the internet and the airwaves. Sometimes the problem is on our end, and frankly, sometimes the problem could be on your end or my end. And uh, it, I found out a long time ago, you can't even control everything that happens when you got everybody in the same room. Uh, the sound is not always exactly what you want, and the volume uh, will act goofy, and sometimes things are louder than they should be or uh, unclear. Like, and, and so uh, we, we do what we can do, and we trust God with the results. Amen. So thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we are uh, going to continue our series that we started last week, and that series was titled Deadliest Viruses. And last week, we looked at uh, not being prepared or unpreparedness. We talked about the end of the age and the rapture of the church. And this week, I'm going to talk about a deadly virus that has affected every person that's in this room, every person that is watching now, will watch later, and every person that's ever breathed air. And it is the deadly virus of unconcern. We're going to dive deep this morning. I'm not going to get in a hurry. I kind of feel a teaching spirit uh, about this message. I want, to, I want to integrate a lot of Scripture background into what I believe you and I go through on a daily basis, and that is the word temptation. If you are tempted, that doesn't make you weak. It makes you a target. However... What happens often in our life is not that we fall to the temptation, but we're not concerned enough about the temptations. I want to talk to you about this deadly virus of unconcern this morning. I'm going to begin my reading this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Many of you will know these verses. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation just because I like uh, the, the verbiage here in this text. Paul begins in verse 1 by saying, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving, They will slander others and have no self-control. Pay attention to that little statement because at the end of this message, I'm going to dive deep into that statement. They will have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away, Paul tells Timothy, from people like that. Now, that doesn't sound very Christian, Paul, telling him to stay away from people like that. Let me just connect you with a statement here. These are what we call signs of the last days. These these are what Paul is telling Timothy are going to be the signs, the things to look for 
in the last days. And what he's telling Timothy is when you see these things happening, you will know that you're in the last days because signs are an indicator of what you are presently facing. I'm going to say that again. Signs are an indicator of what you are presently facing. When I was a young uh, man, uh, actually a young teenager, uh, they give you a manual when you took driver's ed in school. And in that manual, one of the things that you were supposed to study and learn was the different signs. Mm -hmm. And they wanted you to learn what a stop sign was because it's an indicator of what you are presently facing. You're at an intersection. And stop can be the difference between life and death. Yield can be the difference between life and death. Railroad crossing, I'm from southern West Virginia. Railroad crossing back then was a big deal because it could be the difference between life and death. Reading the signs correctly can save your life. And so you need to understand that a sign is an indicator of what you are presently facing, not what you have already faced. You never read signs in reverse. You only read signs that are in front of you because they are indicating to you what else is in front of you. So driver's permits are required to teach you what a sign means. But all signs are not equal. I have signs in the foyer that tell you one is men, the other is women. We have other signs out in the foyer that says, please no food or drink in the sanctuary. All signs are not equal. Because uh, some signs are warning signs. And I want to spend the rest of my time that I have with you today talking about warning signs. Because here's the deal with signs. Every person that's ever driven a car knows what a rolling stop is. You have seen that sign that says stop. But you thought you knew better. When you got to the end of that exit ramp and you knew where you were going, you figured everybody else should too. And you will kind of slow down, but just keep on going because you consider it safe. You have observed your surroundings and have decided that that warning sign doesn't apply to you. Here's the deal with warning signs. Lots of people will see danger up ahead, but they don't get concerned about the danger. Their attitude is, I know what I'm doing. I'm old enough. I'm wise enough. I've done this before. And so they are not concerned. This deadly virus of unconcern causes us to look at warning signs and say, I know better than the person who put the sign up. As it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. Temptation, my friend, is not evil in and of itself. It is, in fact, a warning sign. It is a warning sign that you have gotten into an area that you need to be cautious with. It is an indicator that what is in front of you is a life and death situation. You have a warning sign in the Spirit because God is trying to instruct you that what you are presently facing is not to be taken lightly, but is in fact life or death. Choose life, dummy. So there are signs that are in front of you. Matthew chapter 4 is where I'm going to frame my story this morning. Matthew 4 is the story of Jesus after he has been baptized in the River Jordan by his cousin John the Baptist. The Bible says that he was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit of God to be tempted 
by the devil. Now this almost seems contrary to what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Now we call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's really not the Lord's Prayer. It is the disciples' prayer. Because he said, when you pray, pray like this. He didn't say, I pray like this. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not, lead us not, lead us not, lead us not into temptation. And yet the Bible says that the devil led Jesus into temptation. The Spirit of God led Jesus into temptation. Now this almost seemed contrary, but the Bible says that Jesus went to the wilderness. And pay attention to this because it's going to be important at the end of this message. He spent 40 days fasting and praying. And it was then that the devil decided to jump on him. So everything about Jesus' experience is going to help you and I this morning learn how to deal with the devil in our lives. How to get an antibiotic for this deadly virus of unconcern. Let me begin by saying that he was immediately driven into the wilderness for 40 days. 40 is the number in the Bible. Numbers mean things. And 40 is the number of testing. The Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. Elijah spent 40 days fasting. And he got so depressed that he almost, uh, he asked God if he could die. Because uh, 40 is a number that indicates that you are up under great duress and stress. And that's why God will put warning signs in front of you. It is an indicator of what you are presently facing. I'm, I know I keep saying that because I need to drill it home in somebody's life. It is not a warning sign of something that is coming 10 miles down the road. It is something that is now present in your life. And the warning sign is called temptation. So let's talk about temptation. Number one, temptation is no respecter of persons. From the pulpit to the pew, you will all be tempted. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way that I am tempted. i got a hard time believing that. I don't argue with the Bible. I don't make it a habit to discuss whether or not God knows what He's saying. But I had a hard time uh, reconciling that in my spirit because Jesus never got married. He's not tempted with the same thing I've been tempted with. He, but the, I'll get to that in a moment. Everything that you and I have ever felt, He felt. He was tempted in every way that we were tempted, but on a greater level. See, Satan doesn't have to use his full force against us. He did against Jesus. Nobody grows so much that they get beyond temptation. You never get so holy that temptation is not a warning sign to you. So the people who tell you that they are so spiritual that they never feel temptation, now you know what their weakness is, lying. So you need to understand that a warning sign is placed there by the Holy Spirit because He's trying to tell you that you are in a dangerous situation. Now, temptation comes to do one of two things. One of two things. Number one, it comes to get you to sin. I know we don't use that three-letter word in church anymore. It's almost become a curse word. S-I-N. It still separates you from God. It still eliminates you from the kingdom of heaven. It still causes you all kinds of duress and problems in your life. Stay away from sin. 
How does the devil get you to sin anyway? If you're a blood-bought, blood-washed child of the king, how does the devil get you to sin? Number one, he tempts you. You don't just walk into sin. You first ignored, you became unconcerned about the warning sign that was in front of you. You know what the word temptation, the root word means? It means to allure, to entice, to seduce. It's actually a word that we use a derivative of when we talk about going fishing. Because the word temptation is a fishing term. It means to lure a fish to get it off track and to come do what you want it to do. Now, when I was a little boy growing up, I spent a lot of my summers fishing in what's known as the Bluestone River back home. And we caught red eyes, and we caught bluegills, and we caught a little bit of bass, but most of the fish that we caught were called suckers. Now, these are great big ugly fish with great big lips up underneath their head, and sometimes they grow to be three, four, five pounds, and they will break your line, they'll break the end of your pole, but they're called suckers. And when I was preparing for this message, something just leapt into my spirit. That's what the devil does every Sunday. He fishes for suckers. Every time he comes to the house of God, he's fishing for suckers. Some of you, he gets in your TV sets and he fishes for suckers. He gets in your car and rides around with you and he's fishing for suckers. And some of you need to block some numbers in your cell phone because the devil is fishing for suckers. And so he, he, temptation is, it is always trying to get you to sin or it's trying to test your faith. Please don't think you can come to church, leave Jesus tracks on the ceiling, run laps around the sanctuary, and claim to believe in what it is that the preacher's preaching, and the devil not come to tempt you to see if you really believe what you say you do. It, it is either trying to get you to sin, or it is trying to get you to break your covenant that you said you believed in. See, God will test you. The Bible says, let no man who is tempted say he's been tempted by God. God doesn't tempt, he tests. And the difference between a temptation and a test is God tests you in order to develop you, in order to strengthen you. But the enemy tempts you in order to destroy you. God is not trying to tear you down and destroy you. He is trying to build you up. The devil, his scheme is to tear you down. Now I want you to understand that you, and get something straight. You can, in, you can excel in one area and be an abject failure in the other. You can have great faith. You can come to church and tell everybody that is sick, God can heal you. I believe God is a healer. I believe that the Word says you're already healed. And you can talk about great moves of the Holy Spirit and how God is going to wipe the land out and wipe it free of these viruses and have great faith but be morally bankrupt. So you can, you can be excelling in faith and temptation is no problem for you there. But how are you doing when you're not in church? How are you living? Who are you when the lights go off? Because there's more to this Christian life than believing what the Word says. We have to at some point live what the Word says. So temptation is also... Recycled, and this is something that you need to get in your spirit. Recycling is a big deal today. We recycle plastic and we recycle aluminum and we recycle copper and we recycle all types of things to make the world better. Temptation gets recycled too. See, temptation comes back around even after you have defeated them. The devil left Jesus, the Bible says. After he tempted Jesus, the devil left him, but he said, I'll be back. 
He said, I will wait, what the Bible calls in the King James, for a more opportune time. He said, I'm coming back. But mark it down. Child of God, you will never get so delivered that temptation will not be a thing in your life anymore. Now, what exactly are we talking about when we talk about temptation? Well, I'm glad you asked. See, the devil, the reason I can confidently tell you that it gets recycled is not only did he say he was coming back again, but do you realize that the devil has never changed what he does since the Garden of Eden? Do you realize that the Bible teaches us in the New Testament that there's only three things that the devil has to use against you? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. I'm going to say it again. There's only three things that the devil can use to tempt you with. That's how the Bible was very clear when it said Jesus was tempted in every way. Because there's only three things that the devil uses. You say, well, he didn't have kids. He he never got married. He didn't have to go to work uh, where I work. So he couldn't have been tempted the way I'm tempted. Au contraire, because no matter what your problem is, the temptation is always one of three things. The lust of the flesh. What is the lust of the flesh? That's what I want. That's what I say will make me happy. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. What is the lust of the eyes? Oh, the lust of the eyes is what my senses tell me. I look around and I say, well, that person has a better job than me, so they're probably happier than me. I look at some fine young thing that works in the cubby next to me and say, I wish my wife treated me the way she treated it's what my senses tell me. I want. I desire. These are, these are the things that will get you into trouble the quickest because they're what your emotions are wrapped around. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and then the pride of life. When I think I deserve more than I'm getting. Those are the only three things the Bible says the devil can use against you. It comes in many different forms, but the root is the same. So you need to understand that temptation will come back. Why wouldn't the temptation come back? If the devil called a sucker in that hole the last... Y'all ain't going to help me. Every time I went fishing, if I caught a fish in the same hole, the last time I fished in that same hole. Because if I called a sucker here the last time, I'm coming back to catch another sucker. And what makes you think that just because you got over something one time that the devil's not going to come back and fish in that same hole? Temptation is recycled. But being tempted is not a sign of spiritual weakness. It's a sign that you are saved. It's a sign that you made a decision for Christ. And sometimes the devil will beat you up about being tempted, but you have to understand, seeing the warning sign is not sin. It is an indicator of what you are about to do. So Jesus was tempted all the way to the cross. What makes you or I think we won't fall victim to temptation again? Now understand that temptation often comes when you least expect it. Jesus had just been baptized by the river Jordan. The Bible says that the earth split open, or the sky split open, and a dove descended, landed on Jesus, filled him with the Holy Spirit, and he heard the voice of his Father say, This is my beloved Son. In whom I'm well pleased. He was on a spiritual high. And yet immediately got tempted. Understand that just because you go through some great spiritual experience does not make you less susceptible to the warning signs. It makes you more victorious when they come. But it does not mean that the devil's not going to beat you up. We need to be on guard. 
after we have done great things for the Lord. Elijah called down fire from heaven and then ran from Jezebel because he was afraid she was going to kill him. See, he will come back. Oh, listen. The devil said, you beat me once, Jesus, but I'm coming back. Mark my word, at a more opportune time, I will be back. That's why when the Bible tells you, when you think you stand, take heed, lest you fall. Just because you defeated the devil this week, doesn't mean he's not coming back. However, I want to let you know before I leave you and get out of your way this morning, temptation can be conquered. God would not give you warning signs if He was not trying to tell you that you can overcome what you are about to face. Temptation can be conquered. Jesus already showed us how to do it. Jesus overcame the enemy. Do you understand that the devil was not playing games with Jesus? He caught him after a 40-day fast. Some people never fasted four hours. Some folk listening to me haven't fasted 40 minutes. Jesus fasted 40 days. He was weak physically, hungry, probably sleep deprived. He was weak emotionally. He was weak spiritually. And the devil comes and jumps on him. And Jesus' strategy worked for him, and it works for me, and it will work for you. He said, it is written. When the devil came and says, if you are who you say you are, prove it. You say you're the man, show me you're the man. Turn these blocks of rock into logs of Texas roadhouse rolls. And it's a good thing it was Jesus that was being tempted. And not Pentecostal preachers. Because we'd have turned that whole hillside into a roll. And every log that was on it would have been a stick of butter. Because he's, he's hungry. He's emaciated. He's anemic. He's thirsty. He's beat up. He's beat down. And a lot of you, don't, don't check out on me now. I've been 21 minutes. Don't check out on me. A lot of you use those things as an excuse to ignore and be unconcerned with the warning sign. A lot of you say, well, I've just been beat up. I deserve this. Warning. Warning. Don't you see the flashing light up ahead trying to tell you you've went too far already? These are the warning signs that the Holy Spirit puts in your path trying to divert you away from trouble. Here's how it works. The devil has a counterfeit for everything that God has. Understand, when God gives you something good, the devil has a counterfeit that he's going to send trying to get you to to, uh, uh, go the wrong direction. God brings you a blessing, the devil will show up with a distraction. God will bring the right person into your life, and here comes the wrong one. God will bring you a business opportunity, and here comes the devil with something that sounds too good to be true. God will bring you healing and the devil will bring you bondage. Because he's not just going to sit back and let you grab your blessing and not fight to keep it. Understand, just because you've had a good spiritual experience does not mean that you are done with temptation. Learn to read the warning signs. But don't just read them. 
Child of God, get concerned when you see them. Understand when it's time to pump the brakes. Understand when it's time to step aside. Understand when it's time to retreat and ask God to stand between you and the enemy. Jesus' same tool that he used will work for you. It is written. That's why the psalmist told us, Your word, God, I've hidden in my heart so I won't sin against you. You remember when Peter was in the boat with all the other disciples and they saw Jesus walking on the water? And they thought that Jesus was a ghost. And all the other disciples started flipping out and freaking out. And they thought that ghost meant that the ship was about to go down. And only Peter, Peter looked out and says, Jesus, if that's you, speak your word. I'll know it's you and I'll come to you. And Jesus said one word, one word, come. And do you realize that When Peter acted on that word, he walked on the water and the word held him up. It was the word of Christ that held Peter up and he did what he should not have been able to do because he stood on the word. But what happened before Peter ever reached Jesus? The winds of temptation started to blow. And it caused him to lose confidence in the word that he was standing on. This needs to sink into somebody's spirit. When the winds of temptation started to blow, he lost confidence in the word that he was standing on. And that's what the devil has done since the Garden of Eden. He asked Eve, did God really say that? Are you sure that's what God meant when he... He's always trying to blow the winds of temptation to get you to lose confidence in the word that you have been standing on. So he'll make you doubt things that you believed your whole life. Warning. Warning. There's a big flashing red light in front of you saying this is the intersection. You are facing a life and death situation. Pump the brakes and stand on the word. And I've said all that to say this. In your Bible, Peter tells us one of the most popular scriptures in the church today. Be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And and I, I learned the King James Version like most of you did. Be sober, be vigilant. Be sober, be vigilant. But there's a better translation than that. It doesn't doesn't sound like our English that we speak today, sober and vigilant. What is sober and vigilant? Well, I'm glad you asked. He actually said, be self-controlled and alert. Pay attention. Do you want to finish this race? Are you interested in making heaven your home? Or are you only interested in satisfying the lusts of your flesh? Pay attention. Your adversary is looking for you. He's coming back. Temptation is coming back. Sin is going to be at your door. Pay attention. Be self-controlled. Now what exactly does it mean to be self-controlled? Being self-controlled means this. I clear my head of anything that could cause me to go the wrong direction. Because what your head believes, your heart will follow. What your heart believes will speak into your mouth. And what your mouth speaks, you create an environment. 
I've been teaching this on Wednesday nights. I know a lot of you don't, uh, uh, aren't able to catch that, but th- this is what I've been teaching on Wednesday nights. Whatever you get filled up in your head fills up your heart. Now the abundance of the heart and the mouth speaks. And the power of life and death is in your tongue. So whatever you speak, you are creating an environment. When God created heavens and the earth, He spoke it into existence. The world that you live in, you have spoken that world into existence. You speak to your children and you create their world. Tell them they're useless. Tell them they're, they're ugly. Tell them they're homely. Tell them that, that they're no good. Tell them that they're, that, 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 that they're poor. Tell them that they uh, are discriminated against. Tell, tell them all kinds of things. You're creating an environment for them. But tell them that they're king's kids. Tell them how much you love them. Tell them that their mistakes does not define them. Tell them that they can come back. Tell them that, that God is a God of reversals. Tell, fill their head full of the knowledge that God doesn't count us out. And they will, they will remove the things out of their head. And this is what being self-controlled means. That means anything that would cause me to stumble in the presence of God, I have to get it out of my head. How do you think Joseph was able to run away from Potiphar's wife? The Bible says this woman who had power and authority over him wanted to get him into her bed. And she reached out and grabbed his coat. And he said, I can't make it in the the, the neighborhood that God wants me to make it into if I get in bed with you. But I can get out the door without my coat. And he was willing to leave the coat to please the Lord. Because he already had his mind made up that he wanted to please God more than he wanted to please her. So we need to exercise self-control and do not leave your, your weaknesses exposed to the devil. I'm about to close. I want to leave you with this thought. If you haven't heard anything else I've said today, hear this. When I was a little boy growing up on the farm, my grandpa, I, didn't, I never had a problem with a bull. Everybody talks about bulls. I never had a problem with a goat. Everybody talks about how goats are mean and hateful. You know what I had a problem with? A goose. My grandpa had the meanest goose that God ever put flippers on. I mean, that thing would bite me, hiss at me. If I got anywhere near that goose, that thing would come after me with its wings spread and it would be hissing at me. And a little seven, eight-year-old boy, I I thought that it was as big as I was. I thought it was a dinosaur coming to eat me. And of course, being as mean and ornery as as I myself was at seven or eight, I, I took that as a challenge. So I'd stand on the side of the fence and throw rocks at that goose. And maybe that's why it hated me so bad. I'd pick up a broom handle and I'd chase that goose around. And then when I uh, got to, to where I was about to catch it, it would turn around with its wings spread and come after me. And here's what I found out about Grandpa's farm. There was one spot near the gate where the fence over the years had just rode down and because it wasn't big enough gap for the horse to get out or any of the goats to get out or the goose to get out, Grandpa never bothered to fix it. But a little seven or eight year old boy, I could scoot right through that place where the fence was low and what was behind me couldn't get to me. And I could get out or I could get in without having to climb the fence because there was a vulnerable spot. Can I convince somebody this morning to stop exposing your weaknesses in front of your devil because the devil always climbs over the fence at the lowest spot. Wherever your low spot is in your protection, that's where the devil will find you and bring temptation. This is your warning signal. God sent this preacher here this morning 
to tell you that you are standing at an intersection and there are stop signs everywhere telling you what you are facing is a matter of life and death. Pay attention. Do not let the virus of unconcern cause you to become spiritually blind to where you can't see the warning signs. The devil caught Jesus hungry. Hear me. It's dangerous to walk around hungry. You walk around hungry for affection. Hungry for companionship. Hungry for money. Hungry for power. Hungry for a new experience. It's dangerous to walk around hungry because the devil always knows when you're hungry. The devil knows when your fence is down. And if you are hungry for a touch and your wife and your husband is not doing it, he knows where your fence is down. And he knows when you're hungry. And let me tell you something that I've learned about dieting over the years. When I'm hungry, I'll eat junk that I normally wouldn't eat. When I'm hungry. I'll try to turn stones to bread when I'm hungry. I'll try to eat stuff that will never bring me satisfaction, but if I can just satisfy the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye or the pride of life, for a moment, I'll eat it. Uh I'll go looking for happiness in people when God Himself is supposed to be the one to bring me fulfillment when I'm hungry. So let's be honest. You haven't just made bad choices. You've ignored a whole lot of warning signs. You saw saw the sign that said high voltage. Why'd you stick your tongue down to it? You saw no trespassing. Violators will be shot. And you paid no attention to the warning signs. How many times have you entered where the sign said do not enter? The Holy Spirit was holding up a big broad view sign that says do not enter and you trolloped yourself in where you know you shouldn't be. How about road closed? Bible says stand outside and knock and you'll find. Seek, or knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. And some of us have kicked down closed doors when the Holy Ghost was saying, this road's closed. You said, I know more than you do, Holy Ghost. Step aside, I'm going in. Danger ahead. There was a sign at the coal mines when I was growing up, console number 51 down in McComas. There was a big sign that it was an overpass, and as you drove underneath that tipple, it said danger ahead because there was always these uh, vehicles, these big big trucks and different pieces of equipment that would cross the road. Danger ahead. How many times in your spirit have you ignored the warning sign? Danger ahead. But you wanted it so bad, you pressed on through. The virus of unconcern caused you to turn the blind eye to all of that. And I'll leave you with this final thought. Warning signs are given to you before you make the mistake. Not to get you out of a mistake. God loves you so much that He tries to keep you from injury. When he puts a sign up that says, don't swim here, you could drown. It's because he doesn't want you to drown. It's not because he's trying to keep something good from you. He's trying to keep something bad from you. He's trying to protect you. When he says, don't do this, it's not because he doesn't sympathize with your needs. 
It's because he knows that your lust of your flesh, the lust of your eyes, and the pride of your life will get you into hot water and you won't be able to get out. You might drown. God knows these things. Pay attention to the warning signs. I'm going to tell you something. This virus is more deadly and more contagious and more common than corona ever will be. This is something that is common to every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever breathed there. Temptation is a reality. You can't avoid temptation. You need to prepare yourself to read the signs before you get yourself into a dangerous position. Now, if it's been a blessing to anybody today, I want to pray for you. Before I jump off of the internet and and you go about your day, I want to pray that God will give you an antibiotic in your spirit. Because some of you have become spiritually blinded to the warning signs. If you don't have word to back up what you're doing, stop it. Don't stop it tomorrow. Stop it today. If the Bible... And you can't agree on what you're doing? Stop it. If you can't reconcile your decisions with what thus saith the Lord, stop it. He's not wrong. You are. This is your warning sign. You're at a crossroads. And what you're facing immediately, this sign is a symbol that is telling you that what you are immediately facing is life and death. So if it's touched anybody's heart this morning, I'm going to ask you to bow your head wherever you are. It doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, boy, child. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter how long. Pastor, I've been in church for 50 years. You're still being tempted, friend. And you can still make bad decisions. I want you to bow your head. Father God, I want to pray right now for your sweet Holy Ghost that has already prepared the hearts and the minds of these your people. That... I want it to please come in right now like a fury, God, and reconcile our hearts and our minds with what you say. We are weak, God. You are strong. Our flesh will lead us astray, but God, it is your spirit that we need to be feeding and feasting from. So God, right now, give us deliverance. Every person under the sound of my voice, now or in the future that will ever hear this broadcast, God, give us deliverance according to your word. It is written. Help us to make godly decisions. Help us to... Take advantage of your blessings that you give us and not be led astray by the distractions that the enemy sends. You are a good, good father and you have given us every good gift comes down from you. And we appreciate you so much. Not just today, but for forever. And God helps somebody today see that the warning signs has been telling them to stop, to turn around. Thank God you allow U-turns. Give us today, God protection from ourselves and protection from our enemy. I speak life into every person in the name of Christ Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. Do it now. Amen and amen. I want to thank you all for for watching this morning. I want to thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, Many of you have continued to give online. Some of you have mailed them. Uh, However you're getting your offerings and your tithes to the Lord, I I'm, I'm sincerely grateful. I know heaven 
uh, is rejoicing over that. Thank you. Please continue to be faithful. We still don't know and don't have an end date for this, uh, but we know that the work of the ministry has to continue, uh, and that will continue because God's... uh, He's, he's big like that, and, and he's got everything figured out already. So do continue to tithe and, 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 and give your offerings. And uh, we've, got, we've had more first-time givers online in the last two months than ever before, which makes total sense because most of you uh, probably don't want to go out, and I totally understand that. Uh, but if you need to mail it, if you need to drop it off at either this location or the new location, uh, whatever you want to do, we will accommodate you. Uh, we love you. We thank you. Uh, we're grateful that you are tuning in and watching and participating in the chat and have a, some kind of a community. It's the best we can do right now, and we're just grateful we have something that we can do and, and, and be able to fellowship one with another, even if it has to be from a distance and virtually. But God bless you today. Uh, pray about the virus to be broken. Pray for our leadership. I can't imagine. I lead one church, and I'm about to lose my mind. I can't imagine what the national leaders and the state leaders are going through. Uh, our our uh, denominational leaders have had to make a terribly uh, big decision in the last week, and, and, and it crushed them, and, and it's, it's set off a whole uh, lot of problems that we're going to have to work through, uh, but, but we're just doing what we can do to, to uh, maintain through this season. So continue to pray for leadership that, that we will have godly wisdom and be able to walk according to God's plan. I don't believe God brought this. I know there's people that thinks it's a curse or a plague. I don't believe God brought it, but God sure can use it. And because of that, I'm believing great things are going to come. I don't know when this season's going to be over, and I don't even know if it's going to happen at the end of this season, but I believe great things are going to transpire because of what we have endured. So God bless you today. Have a great day. Have a great week until I see you again, which will be uh, on online Wednesday, if not before. God bless.